Yo, it's another episode of the Selby is Godcast. Zach Meisel here, TJ Zuppi. And TJ, since we have had nothing to talk about for like the last, I don't know, 12 episodes, I thought it would be a good idea to bring in other people to help us talk about nothing. That's right, because Seinfeld wasn't just two people. There were four people prominently on, on Seinfeld, so there's four people here today. No soup for you. At Tribe Fest, how about that? We got Jordan Bastian over here to my right on Hello. the other side of the table. We've got Ryan Lewis. So from LB.com. Not the one from Macklemore. True. Thank you. Akron Beacon Journal and The Athletic. The Athletic Cleveland, Zach Meisel, TJ Zuby, and the Selby's Godcast. Welcome back. You know, you guys haven't been on this podcast since, uh, well, the last day of the season. That was the last time you were on this podcast. That was something. It was a great time and it was pretty well received except for by one grump near Crocker Park, but other than that, it was it was pretty good. <laughs> we had a few speed bumps on that podcast that I think we edited out just for keeping our jobs, and it was like three in the morning at that point. Yeah. As of right now, we're recording this at Tribe Fest, and it's not three in the morning, so perhaps some you of these comments... wouldn't know that by some of the music in the background, though. Well, it does kind of sound like a club in here, and if you can't hear us, if you, you're just struggling listening to your your earpiece or you're listening through your car radio or however you happen to listen to us every week trust me it was great just subscribe just give us a thumbs up just assume that it was the best episode that you've ever not listened to don't click meh they don't like that (laughs) so it finally feels like baseball is here in a way I know like the Indians will send their trucks out in about a week and a half, and then it's it's on to Arizona. And finally, I know for the players, it, it's welcome because they want to get that sour taste out of their mouths that they had, they've had since October. Um, and for us, it's something to finally evaluate. It's something to qualify instead of just not having anything to talk about transactions-wise. So just from talking to all the players we've talked to over the last few days, I want to get your guys' take on just like, what do you come away with in terms of, I don't think the players seem to care about the lack of activity this offseason. I think they seem confident, as they should, and why would they admit otherwise? But just what have been your takeaways just after such a quiet offseason, finally getting to talk to some of these guys? I actually, my favorite quote, so on Friday ahead of Tribe Fest, you know, we were allowed to go into the clubhouse and, and go around the room and talk to the players. And, you know, we knew they were going to say, oh, don't worry you know, we don't care about what we lost. Look at what we're bringing back. We knew they were going to say that, like you said. it's They're not going to sit there and say they're worried about the year ahead or that they took a step backward this winter. But the quote I liked the most actually came from Jose Ramirez, who, when he was asked, what would he tell the fans? He said, trust us, trust the people that are here. That's who matters now. And I thought that was a good way of putting it. The people that are still here are the ones that should matter to the fans. It should be where the focus is. And there is still... A great foundation and as we've all talked about or written about in this division of all the divisions they probably have the easiest path to October and it might make more sense from the Indians financial standpoint or just roster standpoint to look at it in July or August kind of like they've done the last couple of years and say what are our needs for that postseason push when it's better it's more predictable in that moment when you're closer to it than overpaying potentially for a free agent now. I think that's a kind of what I've taken away from this winter is I think they view mid-season acquisitions as more critical 
than what they could go get right now. It almost feels like we've gotten to a point where it's the paralysis through the analysis of having not much to really sink our teeth into. So I, I, I feel like we've gotten to a point where maybe, I mean, it's fair to be critical of the offseason and to look at what they done, have done and haven't done and who they've lost. But it's like you get to a point where you, you have so little to actually analyze to really break down that you start to get maybe even too critical leave things under the microscope too long and I, you could probably do that with almost every club at this point you could do that even with a team like the Yankees who have a tremendous bullpen and they had a MVP but if you ask them internally I'm sure they feel like there's some things that they, they still need to accomplish. They haven't done anything since they got Stanton. I'm sure, no, but seriously, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. their fans are probably panicking and saying, why aren't you signing you Darvish? Why and aren't you trading for Machado? The Astros, I'm sure they feel good about getting Garrett Cole, and they're hoping that they can unlock the ace that was once in there, but they're not feeling perfect about their team. They want to get better. And there are, what, 150 free agents still out there? So there's still an opportunity for, for teams to get better. And Zach, as you and I have talked about, I think endlessly, but at least for the last three weeks, there's going to be some opportunistic chances for some teams, and maybe the Indians even get into it, where there's going to be players that the way things typically go would not be available this late, would not be available for the type of money that they're probably going to sign for or that you could trade for, and there are still opportunities to improve this team. I don't know if they're going to go about that route, and Jordan, I think that's kind of what you were hinting at, that they could probably afford to wait a bit, but Ryan... Don't you think there are still some opportunities here where if they if they really wanted to, that there are still some things that they could do to shore up the roster, even if it's not something that moves the needle drastically, they could still get some things done that they need to get done. Well, there are, and there always will be around this time of year, but especially this winter with the really, really slow offseason that baseball has had, this kind of opens the door for some opportunities that may not have quite been on the Indians' radar that they can now take advantage of. Um, you know, there, there are some bigger moves in terms of they could offer something in terms of a, a major trade and, and kind of put all their chips in, uh, right in the middle of the table, um, or that they could kind of try to just try to supplement the roster. But you know, Trevor Bauer said, you know, he thinks that there's not enough focus on the guys who are, who are here already, and the Indians do have a couple of pieces um, that they can try out that are low risk. That um, you know, they've kind of the same pieces that they've hit on the last couple of years, and so. It is a 102-win team, and there are always going to be the opportunity to have a couple of moves. Um, if, if there's going to be one larger than Yonder Alonso, who knows? Um, but the opportunities are there. They're going to be a contender. Like Jordan said, they're pretty much going to win this division this year. They're probably going to get back to October uh, as a three or four seed, possibly even better. Um, they're in a good spot, and even though it's totally understandable for a fan to have some angst, um, it's probably a good thing to also just sort of take a deep breath and, and kind of wait for things to play out a little bit. Ryan, I know you you wrote recently on Ohio.com. It, it's it would make sense if they wanted to make a run at Christian Yelich or the Marlins. Yelich, 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 Yelich. Vote. Think, Let's vote. Think Yelich. 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 I think there's only one vote that matters. It's actually his, and I believe it's <laughs> Yelich. Oh, really? Because we couldn't decide if it was Meisel or Meisel, and no one cared what my opinion was. Yeah, Zupe. So. I like. I think unless like that, that obviously makes sense depending on what you'd have to give up. But unless you're going to go that route, as we've said, it doesn't make sense to go pay extra now 
for someone who like like you don't care about April, May, and June production because you feel confident that the team you already have is going to win the division. So why not pay half the price financially and half the price in terms of what you'd have to give up prospects wise? And wait until June or July to make that trade. See, I, I think the bigger benefit, I mean, there is benefit to what you're saying, Zach, but the bigger benefit is you don't know exactly what you might need in July right, right now. Uh, if you go back two years ago, going into the 2016 season, we all wrote, said on every interview, every time we were asked, one of the strengths of the team was the bullpen. And yet the piece, the one piece they needed to almost get them over the hump was Andrew Miller in the bullpen. And that's not something that, A, was on our radar at this time in 2016, and B, that we ever would have thought that they really needed to go get. So there is benefit to to knowing that the division, that, that three, 60% of it, three of the teams in it are going to be essentially going out there trying to lose games and get a higher draft pick. The benefit is now you don't have to feel as much of that rush to go get that major piece right now because they feel pretty good about making the postseason. You, the, whatever, you, whatever move you make has to move the needle in October, and I don't know that the argument is there unless you find something that is just so over-the-top opportunistic that you can't pass up that it's something they have to go get tomorrow or today. As Tito likes to say, to your point, uh, look at last year. Everyone's sort of up in arms at what Jay Bruce signed for this winter and why didn't the Indians bring him back? Kind of what you're saying is when they acquired Jay Bruce, it was another opportunistic moment. Brantley was hurt. Bonnie Chisenhall was injured. If it, if it was a week prior to that, uh, you know, they don't go out and get Jay Bruce because Michael Brantley's healthy. He's not laying in the field with his ankle, you know, unable to you know, function anymore. So they go out and they get Jay Bruce and he put up similar production down the stretch. But that was something that developed in August. It was they were close to the postseason and they saw this is a need and we need this for the, for October. They knew they were going to win the division, but they went out and got it because it addressed a need at that time. And I think as you sit here in January, you, obviously you can't predict the needs that are going to come up midseason, the injuries, the setbacks, guys who just don't perform. And I think that's why, it, even in a case like the rumor that came out this week about Manny Machado, you don't want to overpay in prospects for a guy who's going to be here for one year if you're not sure he's the put-you-over-the-top move for October. You know, it's already it's, – it's only January. Is Manny Machado going to put you over the top in October? You don't know that. You know, so I think it's it's – in the Indians' best interest in a situation like that, not to overpay, uh, you know, and maybe wait for Baltimore to come down to a level where it would make more sense. Right, and and that's not to say that that can't still happen in the right. offseason. Right. But there's no need to overpay now. Is that is the point that you're getting to? Right. Don't you don't have to give them two starting pitchers and another prospect and and basically do everything that they want to get that trade done. In Baltimore's case. They're the team that should feel the pressure because right. the clock is ticking and he's not going to be there beyond the end of this year. The only thing you're going to get is a, a draft pick that you're not even sure what is going to be. So you almost feel like in their position, they're the ones that have something that, that is on the line here. Whereas if they don't get back the right talent, then all they're going to get back is that one draft pick, and that's not enough to make up for the loss of Machado. And the Indians can hang up the phone now and wait for the Orioles to call back whether it's this offseason or in July. You know, maybe they've set foundation now 
for talks in season. You know, maybe Manny Machado doesn't get moved this winter, but he becomes the big trade deadline acquisition. And that's why you won't see a team like the Indians, especially a team like the Indians, overpay in terms of prospects or starting pitching that's controllable. I always laugh when the team thinks they have leverage and they don't. Like the Orioles are like, we're not getting the offers we want. We're done. And it's like, okay, then hang on to your guy, go 68 and 94, and then lose him for a draft pick. Like, right. congrats. I mean, it's, it's, they don't have leverage. And so it's going to come to a point. Now, they do have time. They don't have to deal him until July. But there's going to come a point in time when some team is going to either overpay or just be lucky enough that the sand hits the bottom of the hourglass and that's the deal that the Orioles choose. And the Indians have shown recently that while you know, they're normally not going to be the ones to make these really major aggressive moves, now that they're, they've been within their window, they have shown at least a, a reasonable you know, welcoming to at least talking about these moves. And they've, they've made some aggressive signings. And the Andrew Miller trade wasn't just about bringing on $9 million to the salary. They, they lost some serious prospects there. And with the Encarnacion signing, they lost a draft pick, which is kind of out of their comfort zone. But they have shown that now that they're in this competitive window, they are willing to make those moves. And the question, I guess, is how long can that window really stay open? Most of these guys are here until 2020 if the Indians want. Yeah. So you have three years. Make them count. Well, Ryan, I, I think you're right that it helps this side of the argument because they have done it in the past. It's different if you're sitting here today trying to sell somebody on that point and you have nothing to prove that they're willing to go all in in, a, in the middle of the season, towards the end of the season, that they're willing to give up prospects and say, that well, that, that's what they should do. But because you have, you have those moves to point to and say they are willing to do that and they've done it. It's not so much that they're, they're even thinking about it, it's that they've acted on that. And, and that's probably what should at this point of the season offer fans something that they can feel good about that the front office and the ownership too that deserves some credit for this have been willing to push those chips in when the time was right and sometimes it feels like now is the right time and now is when you have to get things done and it certainly would make things more fun from our perspective to have something to to break down and analyze and for fans to get excited about at this time of year but that's what what is sexy isn't always what's right, and and that's what's difficult to keep in mind, especially when you see so many talented players out there that you're just begging for your team, not just the Indians, any fan that's out there is like the Cardinals. Why aren't you signing this guy? The Red Sox. Why aren't you signing JD Martinez? What are you doing? And I'm sure that's kind of added to not just the, an Indians fan's frustration, but for fans for all around baseball. I think talking to one front office guy earlier this winter about the stagnant pace of this winter and he said it's like at Christmas there's that shiny new toy and everyone wants to get in line be the first in line to get that shiny new toy no matter what the cost is but guess what if you don't get it at Christmas some of those shiny new toys wind up being returned or in a resale shop or on eBay or somewhere else at a lower cost just a couple months later and I think that's we're not just seeing it with the Indians this winter we're seeing it across the industry this winter I mean I can't remember you know, in a dozen years cover, and I can't remember this many free agents still out there oh, when we're this close to spring training. Yeah, for sure. So the question is, as it's as the team is constructed now, Zach, you and I have talked about this a lot. That yeah, they've probably taken a step back. If they're if they're not right where they were at last year, they're a little bit of a step back. But still, you're talking about 102 wins to 95, 96, certainly somewhere in that realm of of where they could fall this year. 
if if this team enters the season as they're currently constructed, are they good enough where it's not going to be obviously in April, May, and June? It's going to be interesting because you just don't have that much baseball. But as you get late in the season, can that apathy create a problem? Could the lack of depth in certain places cause an issue? How do you feel about them going into the, to this season if what we see today is what you get on that first day of spring training and then opening day? What happens if, like, if they go on that opening West Coast trip and they're like two and four? <laughs> the fan base is going to panic. It's going to be you, Giancarlo Stanton, end up with the Yankees and Garrett Cole end up with the Astros, and so the Indians are two and four. Like, Two and four on a West Coast swing is pretty good. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> no, I, I just, I, it's going to be so interesting. And I think, like, it's going to be nice to have tangible results that we can evaluate the team by. But at the same time, it's almost like, just for the sanity of the fan base, and for those of us who have to be the conduit between the fan base and the team, like, it would be nice if they got off to a good start. Because remember last year, they were 31 and 31 in mid-June, and people are like, okay, well, that World Series run was a fluke. Yeah. Now, we'll see what happens, but I think last year, I do think they got caught up early on, almost, you don't want to say apathy, but but they knew they were good, they felt loaded, they just came off the World Series, and I felt like they didn't really put their foot on the gas pedal until later in the season. This year, maybe after a winter like this, they will feel a little more sense of urgency, mm-hmm. or a little more... Yeah, something to prove, however you want to say it, that maybe early on we'll see a little bit more of an aggressive playing style just because of the type of winner they had. I mean, obviously we'll see how it plays out, but I could see the players being like, oh, no, we got to be sharp because we don't have the team we had last year. You know, And I don't think this team, as it's currently constituted, is set up for that deep playoff run yet. But I still think they have a move, whether it's this winner or the trade deadline, I think they're going to, to do something. Anthony has shown that in recent years, and I just don't think... If we're all sitting here saying this feels like a puzzle that's not complete, you know the front office is feeling that to a higher degree than we are or fans are. And looking at last year at least, I mean, not that this was a major factor, but it was semi-understandable that there was a little bit of a, of a hangover. The Cubs got off to a poor start as well. It, for a team that had really almost 1 through 25 had really never been through anything like that before in 2016 now you're going to get up for a May game in Minnesota not to say that that really happened but it's sort of understandable to think that there may be a slower start especially when health was an issue Kipnis was out Brandon was still dealing with stuff and as he always is now um, so it I actually think that they they are built to go on a run like they did in 2016 right now even if they didn't make any other moves if healthy which is true for every team but maybe it's even truer in the Indian standpoint for the last, from the last two years but any team that has that can run out Kluber and Carrasco 1-2 and then you have Bauer and then Danny Salazar has a potential 4 or 5 Clevenger his caper and I are like 12 Ryan Merritt Ryan Merritt is still there Cody Anderson by then <laughs> that's right he's lifting boxes now I think that's what's amazing they have so much depth that we don't um, I, I almost forget about Cody Julian Anderson. Merriweather what do you think that first day is going to be like? Cody Anderson has been stuck in that complex in, in Goodyear for almost a whole year. He's riding horses. He's, he's, got, he's fine. He, the one time he got let out of the complex, he got to fly to Cleveland, 
he saw Zach and I in the clubhouse, and he almost hugged us because it was another human being. What's it going to be like? And by the way, that would be a dangerous hug. I would not want that hug. Um, what's it going to be like when the, the the first day of spring training arrives and more players start walking through the door for be weeping at his for Cody Anderson? Oh my God! Humans. There's real people in here. Well, also, I mean, he's also a lumberjack, and there are no trees in Arizona, so the first. Well, no, time... he's chopped them all down. Oh yeah. <laughs> I think you're you asked a loaded question though. I think I disagree with Jordan. Like I think as currently constituted, because of the randomness in October and because we all fall victim to thinking that like why how do we know the Astros are better? They never met in October. The Indians took five of six in the regular season last year, if that means anything. Like because the Astros beat the Dodgers, they're better than the Indians. Like I think they're probably better, but I don't think that we know for sure. And why do we think the Yankees are better? Just because they beat them three times in a row and then added Stanton? Like, do we know they're better? I think we fall into a trap of taking last year's postseason results and using that as the foundation for what we project will happen this year. And I think that's dangerous. And that's why I think, sure, I think the Indians have a chance if they get to October as currently constructed. So do the Yankees, so do the Astros. Maybe the Angels and Red Sox do. Like, and I think... If, if you look at the roster, like, they have all the components. Kluber and Carrasco, as Ryan said, and, and depth behind that. A lineup built around Lindor and Ramirez and Encarnacion, that's a pretty good way to start. And a bullpen that doesn't have nearly as much depth, but if you can throw Cody Allen and Andrew Miller every day, you're in good shape. Like, they still have the pieces. And so I, I would say, yeah, as currently constructed, they, they're absolutely still a threat. Yeah, that's, they're still a threat. I still think they have a chance. I think my point is it feels like there's something missing still. And I feel like they still have to answer some questions. Sure. And, and the health is too big of a question with Kipnis and Brantley. I think the bullpen is too big of a question right now with who, how that's going to shake out uh, with the high leverage innings that Allen and Miller aren't getting. And I just feel like that offense, once you get past the first five spots, it's. I think there's just too many question marks right now to say they're built for a deep postseason run. They have the pitching, but I just think I, I, I just feel like they still. Who doesn't have question marks though? I'm just saying I think there's something missing. It feels like something's missing. Well, I, I agree with you. I just don't think the thing that's missing is like preventing them from accomplishing. Well, I think that it's a complex thing to analyze any team, but certainly the Indians too, because multiple things can be true at once. Everything Jordan said can be true. And that's evident by Zach, you saying that you agree. But there's also truth that it's not completely unfair to believe that Michael Brantley plays 120, 130 games this year and is Michael Brantley. It's not unfair to believe that Jason Kipnis is a four and a half win player this year because before last year, he did that for the last two years and has been an all-star before. So it's not crazy. It might not even be the most likely scenario, but it is a possibility. Why can't Tyler Naquin be good again? Why can't Yandy Diaz learn that, hey, hitting the ball in the air every once in a while isn't so bad? I mean, I think there are some things here that can also be true on top of the fact that they have some answers, some, some things to be sure. to be answered. That there are some things that, they, that someone in, internally is going to have to step up to fix. And that's true of basically every year they've ever been good. There's always had, there always has to be somebody that comes almost out of nowhere to surprise you. I mean, look at last year. Austin Jackson ended up playing a vital role for that team. Austin Jackson, who was coming off of knee surgery, and if anybody else would have said at this time, don't worry because they have Austin Jackson and he's going to help save their outfield, you would have been laughed 
out of whatever room you're in or whatever thing you were writing on and, and told that you were a homer, but he ended up playing a gigantic role for that team. So every team has to, and this is sort of what Tito spoke to yesterday, give yourself chances, and that's what they've done. They have another chance to go win a World Series this year by getting to the postseason. But you also have to get a little fortunate, too. And you try to create that, that, that fortune as much as you can, either through your play or making good, smart decisions and bringing in the right people. But still, there are some things that just kind of have to go your way in a season where you're going to go win it all. One of my favorite stats from last year to kind of – you mentioned Austin Jackson. It made me think of it. Is this team that won 102 games, had a 22-game winning streak. Michael Brantley appeared in the most games among the outfielders, and he played in 90. So that shows you how, how much they overcame last year and were still – a great team how much of a revolving door all three outfield spots were and this still was a really good team so I think you know that's if you're the Indians you can point to that and, and maybe be encouraged by it, that they still have the complementary pieces to to link together and maybe make up for some of the deficiencies and there are a lot of teams that are always going to be say be able to say stuff like this but they've made appearances but each of the last two Octobers, the Indians have basically gone without a healthy Michael Brantley or a healthy Danny Salazar. Those are two pieces that every single team would love to have available. And it really might just be a matter of health. And really, instead of taking chances on free agents or taking chances on trades, the Indians are choosing to take chances on Michael Brantley by picking up his option. And they're choosing to see if Danny Salazar can remain healthy and, and build on the five-start stretch where he was almost unhittable and striking everybody out uh, after he came back from the DL. So it, it, it isn't to say that you know everything's hunky-dory, but it, it's also to say that this team won 102 games with some injuries, with Jason Kipnis basically struggling through the entire season. Um, they've, you know, they, they've so much going well for them that if healthy, this team's probably about as dangerous as any team in the league. One final thing before we get out of here at TribeFest. We, we get a sense of what's, what the fans are thinking essentially through Twitter, and that's dangerous because there's only a small, small portion of the fans you're ever even seeing on Twitter or on Twitter, and then it's an even smaller portion of those fans that are tweeting at you. And generally, I have a friend that says you go to Bed Bath & Beyond and you buy a bed set, and it's amazing. You never go back to Bed Bath & Beyond and say, hey, amazing bed set. That was great. If you go home and sleep on it and you have a, a, just a shitty night, then you come back the next day and you say, give me my money back. And that's the smaller portion of people that are doing that. But through that sense, you just feel like that's a bad product. And for us, I think it's sort of the same thing where we read the room on Twitter, but maybe we're misreading things. And I think a good, a good case in that being that Diamond Dialogue that we had this week, Zach, where we just kind of ran through it and it almost felt like we were being... The whole thing just felt extremely cynical, even though we've had the other end of the, that spectrum through some of our podcasts and Diamond Dialogues this year. But what, weren't all of the comments on it like, calm down, this is fine? I don't understand where this sense of pessimism is coming from. Are we misreading the room? Are, are fans not as cynical as maybe we think they are heading into this year? Is it just because we might hear from that smaller, more vocal group that is a little frustrated with the way things have played out? Yeah, for sure. And first of all, where do I sign up for that comment section? That would be great. That sounds awesome. Uh, no. The athletics readers are the best. <laughs> I did have fun at the availability. I asked Kipnis and Bauer specifically how much they like this event because it's a break from their Twitter streams, which those guys, like, 
you know, we joked with Kipnis that he should autograph his, you know, baseballs here with I suck Jason Kipnis just based on the tweets he gets. <laughs> and Bauer obviously has a, a very well-documented history of blocking people who say anything negative. So they enjoy an event like this because the fans that come here are excited, are positive, love to meet them, and you don't sort of hear all those. And I think that kind of, again, speaks to what you're saying is there's a huge segment of the fan base that gets it or is realistic or understands the dynamics of the Indians' operation versus the Yankees' operation and just things that can and won't happen. Or uh, and, and I do think sometimes we do get caught up in uh, the, the negativity that gets thrown our way in our mentions or in our inboxes, and it's not necessarily wholly representative of the way the fan base feels. I agree. If you're nice and positive, please start sending us emails. <laughs> 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 we could use it. I'll, I will say, after we tweeted out um, Tito's quote from the, the sports awards the other night where he said in 28 days after the sting of the Yankees, or the loss of the Yankees, we're going to come back with a vengeance. There's Tribe a, hard with a vengeance. Yeah, wow. That's really? like, the, like the Die Hard movie. That was a Christmas movie. That was also a Christmas movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. There, there were a lot of positive comments and people saying, like, let's go, we're ready to go, um, we, you know, which, which is kind of nice to balance things out sometimes. Uh, what is your guys' favorite part of Tribe Fest? The puppies. There were puppies here. My, my wife's going to be ticked at me that I'm not coming home with one. I actually really like the uh, this year because the venue is so large. They built a field, and I thought it was very cool to see the players on there with kids playing a little pickup game. You, know, you, you try and imagine back when you were a kid and you were a fan and why we all sort of went down our career path. That would have been awesome. Like as a kid, but and you're just you just stood in there and gotten hit by a pitch. Yeah, yeah, I, yes, exactly. And and this just goes to show Josh Tomlin's character. He gave up at least seven runs you when I saw him pitching. <laughs> <laughs> it was at least seven runs while he was pitching to these kids, and he didn't yell at a single infielder that missed a ground ball. Like he is a team first guy. He just out there and said he needed to pitch better. That was it. I think he was throwing 88. <laughs> <laughs> this is as hard as I got, guys. <laughs> Uh, random jersey settings off to a good start in 2018. Uh, saw a fan wearing an Armando Kamakaro jersey. Wow! The Indians. Do you think Armando even has one? No. The Indians bullpen catcher. A funny story about that, by the way. When they wore those tomato red jerseys last year in Tampa, uh, the Indians placed a call and said, "Hey, if, you know they sell them after the game because they wear them once." And they said, if, "If you have any left over." Let us know. We'd like one just for our archives. And the one that they gave back was Armando Kamakaro. That's funny. Yeah. Another funny story off of this. Paul Ossenmacher, random uh, Indian. He, my sister, was a big Paul Ossenmacher fan for some reason. And she, I forget, I think it was a White Sox jersey that she obtained. Because we grew up in Chicago. Sorry. And uh, she ran into him at at like an appearance and she wore the jersey. And he said, I don't even have one of those. <laughs> and she didn't give it to him. She still has it. Wow. Who was, who did we have at the, the winter meetings luncheon this year? Jim Poole. Jim Poole. Yes. That's right. Random Indians sitting at our table yeah. right next to Zach. Um, but no, the, so, you know, they, and Jordan, you tweeted this out too, but they have the team issue jerseys that they sell $50 a piece. I don't know. Who on earth would spend $50 on a Jerry on like a, Sands jersey? Are you kidding? A Tony Walters jersey that doesn't even have a number on it. Just his name. Or uh, the, Ross like, Detweiler. Ross Detweiler. Joe Thatcher. I saw a Ryan Cash Rebel. jersey. A Cash jersey. Kevin Cash. Pretty good. Michael Choice. 
Joey Butler. There's two numbers for Michael Choice. Seven and a 13, I how, how does he have two numbers? He was here long enough to have two numbers? <laughs> yeah, that, I don't know. That must have been like a mid-spring acquisition where they had to change jerseys. And then a Preston Gilmet, who actually... I saw a fan wearing a Preston Gilmet jersey last year. That, that was, was in, that He ones, made yeah. the top 25 yeah. at the end of the season. So. Well, guys, I appreciate you taking me a few minutes to chat with us today about the offseason because, Zach, you and I can only do this so long before we need somebody else's voices to break up the monotony. But we do appreciate it, so be sure to check out Jordan's work at MLB.com. Thank you. And Ryan Lewis at the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com. Thank you. And Zach Meisel, any parting words for our listeners this week? As I'm sure they're subscribing on Apple Podcast bumpers. You know, no fans came up to us today and said that I owe them a beer for giving us a five-star rating. This is true. So that means the 12 that are in there are all genuine. We didn't have to buy off a single one. Yeah. But there's always next year and the year after that, the year after that. See you later.